All right, welcome back, Power Pod people, to another edition of the Power Perspective Podcast. I am your host and creator, Crystal, and I want to thank you guys for all your continued support. Um, follow me on Instagram at Power Perspective Pod. You can find videos on YouTube going up all the time, and just continue to stay locked in. And today's guest will not disappoint. Um, her perspective is powerful. Her name is Tierra Curry. She is a life coach. She is a wife. She is a mother of six. Six. Um, she is a motivational speaker. She is an author of her new book, Fed Up, Changed Up. So what more can I possibly say about Tierra Curry? Um, well, the truth is a lot, but I won't say anything because her story as a rape survivor is too powerful to pass on secondhand. But what's extraordinary about Coach T, she took that traumatic experience and turned it into a dynamic message of transformation. She's reached young women and men all around the world with her videos on social media and with her podcast, Changed Up Now What, which I have had the honor and privilege to have been a guest on. So be sure to head over to her page, Changed Up Now What, to check it out. You can find all of the information for everything that she has to offer on her website, cu-nw.com. And don't forget to follow me at Power Perspective Pod. Email me at powerperspectivepod at gmail.com if you have a perspective that you would like for me to share on my next episode. So without further ado, Coach Tierra Curry. I have Miss Tierra Curry better known as Coach T. She is a life coach extraordinaire. She is a, a motivational speaker. She's an author and just an overall badass. So how are you today, Miss <laughs> <Ms>. Coach T? <laughs> Man, I am loving it today. I am loving it today. It's, it's, it's another beautiful, blessed day to be alive and, you know, doing the work. <laughs> I love that sunny disposition. So I've actually already had the pleasure of joining you on your podcast and you oh, were man. gracious enough of joining me on mine today. And I'm just really anxious to kind of dive into your story because wow, oh wow, like your perspective is probably one of the most powerful and uh, one of the most well-formed that I've come across because of your experiences. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself and just give me a general rundown of who Coach T is as a person. Then we're gonna jack, we're gonna dive into that that nice deep story <laughs> of yours. All right, so Coach T, I am a wife. I am a mom of six uh, with one on the way. Ooh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I am a perseverance coach, so I help people eliminate excuses when it pertains to their goals, as well as I take the pressure off of um, my clients by physically helping them uh, get the task done. And I'm an author and a podcast host. That's about it. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all. I mean, I only have like 20 titles and, you know, jobs and 
streams of income. But other than that, and and the seven and the six kids and the one on the way, you know, I really don't have much going on. But, but again, that's why I'm just uh, so grateful that you decided to join me on my podcast today because clearly you have your hands full already. So, but oh, um, a lot of time. I, I just feel blessed that you reached out to me to uh, join you on your podcast. And when we, uh, when we spoke, uh, you told me about your story. Um, mm-hmm. So let's just kind of dive into it. Um, what is a major event that took place and shaped your life and your perspective into what it is right now? Well, I, I'll tell you how it, it all started. It stemmed from foster care. I was in foster care since the 80s. Um, I was born in 86, so I kind of got in there kind of fast. Uh, you know, my mom was on drugs. Dad wasn't around. So I went into the foster care system. So you've heard the horror stories of what happens in foster care, and I went through a lot of that. Hmm. Um, so once I turned 18, I thought that that part of my life was over I thought to myself uh nobody can molest me no more because I'm not a child being babysat uh nobody can abuse me anymore you know uh because I'm an adult now I get to live my life with my friends work on my career and maybe one day get married and this and that well truth be told when I turned 18 I mean I hit the floor running because I was so sheltered for all all those years and so oh, I, I can started definitely dating. relate uh, when you yes. first get let out the gate it's like woof <laughs> oh man I'm like I'm 18 you don't really know what to do like you you're like, I'm no 18 idea. I ain't got to an answer to nobody I can stay out all night what you know <laughs> try and stop me <laughs> <laughs> so that was my thing I you know I was still respectful but I worked hard and I played hard but in the playtime, I want I, I was dating because I did. I really wanted my first boyfriend to be my husband because I didn't want to create no name for myself. I'm still trying to do the good girl thing or whatnot. So mm-hmm. I get with this one guy and um, he was a Jamaican guy. And again, I'm young at the time. I didn't know what was what. I just listened to other women and we hit it off for a few months. And then he started taking me to meet his family. And so from, according to the more experienced women, they said, Tierra, when a man, now when a man takes you to meet his Mm -hmm. family, you're somebody. He wants you, he wants to wipe you down or he he loves you because they're not gonna bring trash around family. So I was like, oh, okay, he wants me to meet family. So he takes me to um, underground Atlanta where I meet his cousin. His cousin is like, you're so beautiful. Um, Do you have any sisters or whatever? So I wound up hooking him up with a friend. So So they set up this party. It was like a blind date party. And I brought a coworker of mine who I considered as a friend. And we got off of work at 7 a.m. that morning. We went straight over there. We got dressed at work and we went straight over there to party. Um, the first thing that my ex-boyfriend was doing was he made me a, he made me a breakfast. And the drink kind of tasted a little bit funny, but and I had her taste it too. Like, doesn't this taste a little funny? She was like, yeah. And I said, well, maybe it's just how Jamaicans do it. Now he had left to go and get his cousin from the train station and then come back. So when we get back, I mean, we smoking, we smoking, we, we drinking. Now, even though I was 18, 
I could drink about six cans of the roughest beer in one setting. I by roughest beer you mean what you are we talking Coke 45 to 11? Oh, like, what, what, what are we talking? <laughs> black can, black can, baby. Oh, black okay. can to 11 was what okay. I was drinking. All right. <laughs> well, so um, I could drink about six of those, and you know, and I would be, I mean, that that was the turning point, but I only had a chance to go through half of the can. So me and my uh boyfriend at the time, we were being intimate. Next thing you know, I passed out. When I gained consciousness, his cousin was on top of me. No clothes on, no condom, no nothing. I'm dazed, but I'm looking like, hold on, this ain't, this is not my boyfriend. So I, I So hold on one him. second. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I just oh, really, no. okay. Because this story is just is just so much to chew on. So you you meet this great guy, you he brings you around the family, you you're feeling good, you you're feeling secure, and then the next thing you know, you're in an intimate moment with who with a man whom you trusted, and you black out. Yeah. And then when you come to, it's a totally different human being on top of you yep so yeah what's the first thought when you came into consciousness like what, what what was that moment like when you came into consciousness and realized exactly what was happening so when I started gaining consciousness first of all I have to have my glasses on during anything okay I was in a daze and it could have been a little bit of the glasses and the drug that I was given, but I didn't, for, for the first few seconds, I didn't even know, I didn't even realize what was happening until he asked me, do you know who you effing? And I became to get, I was, I was, you know, just being aware and I'm like, and then that's when I pushed him off of me. So my first thought was, where's my boyfriend and where's my friend? Hmm. Okay, so I would imagine at this point survival mode is kicking in, and you're like, "Oh man, I, I gotta figure out. It, it, it's a fight or flight moment. Do I fight this guy to get off? Do I gotta, I gotta run? I gotta get out of here and find this man who brought me into this situation." And what did he say? The the boyfriend, like, what when you got a hold of him and said, "What the heck is going on here?" What was his explanation man. for that? Man, okay, so I push him off. I move him off. Mm-hmm. I grab the covers because I'm completely disrobed. And I go looking for my friend and my boyfriend. And so I told him he was in the um he was in the back room with my friend. She's in the bed and it appears she was clothed, but she was in the bed real nice and comfortable. He's sitting in a chair um next to the bed. So I, I told him, I said, come here, you know, or how, however it happened, we wound up in the bathroom and I'm, I'm starting to tell him what's going on. And it, the first thing he, it, the initial reaction was nothing because he gave nothing. He said nothing. He, he was just like looking at me, um, listening, but he wasn't responding. And I didn't think I would have to say much because normally something like that happens do ready to fight you know yeah yeah so basically you're still kind of in this haze where you're trying to figure out like 
um, something's happening to me right now and I need you to jump in and defend my honor, but it's turning mm-hmm. into, oh, I need you to explain what's going on because clearly you have some part to do with it. Yeah, like, well, and, and, and at that moment about him having something to do with it, that didn't, e- I didn't even catch on to that until later. Mm-hmm. It didn't register at that point because clearly the only thing I remember was starting to be intimate with my boyfriend. All of, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I wake up and this fully naked man is on me, no protection, no nothing. So usually as jacked up as it is, if somebody's trying to rape somebody, it's like a sneak thing and their boyfriend is there or their friend. Mm-hmm. But for him, and, and again, I realized this later, for him to have been fully disrobed, let me know like it's, you wasn't sneaking. It was on, it, everything was on the table. So so we're in the bathroom, I'm telling him, and then I look at him, I'm not getting that reaction. And so I'm like, repeating myself, because I, I'm like, did you hear what I just said? This happened. So all of a sudden, here comes the Oscar awards. He he gathers up this anger, angry face, and he's like, man, I'm finna do this to him, I'm finna do that. And then I'm gonna take him back to the train station mm. and get this nigga out of my house, you know? So... He goes and, oh, before we leave the bathroom, before he goes to, quote unquote, set him straight and take him home, the first thing he told me was, while I'm gone, he said, take a shower. That was that was mistake number one on my part. Taking a shower. Mm. That's washing away the DNA. Oh, boy. So they, so, you know, they, mm. they have some experience with this. So, so, yeah, he goes and he takes him home. And I was... I was up for a little while longer. At this point, I was able to go into the story and tell my coworker who I'm still thinking like, you know, she's my friend. And this time um, I, I blacked out again. Now, remind you, everything started at 7 a.m. when we got over there, when we got off work. This time I did not fully wake up and gain consciousness until about it was sometime around 12 midnight, sometime after that time. And this time she, like, my head was on her lap. It was as if she was watching me this time, looking over me this time. All three of us were in the same room, but she was right there by me and and the boyfriend was sitting in a chair at the desk. So, yeah. So that happened and um, he stayed with his brother. Everything he told me was a lie from that's his own house and all this other stuff. And then his brother was a dentist his brother was very a, a very great guy, and he had a fiance. They they both doctors. They come in, and their son comes in, and so my boyfriend was like, "Don't tell my brother anything. What happened? We'll talk about it. It's cool, whatever." Mm-hmm. So, me and her, we get ready to go, and that was on the way. It was the most eerie trip. It was the longest ride I've ever had. I took her to a store to take her home. And she was like, once we parked, she said, uh, Tierra, you've been set up. So the same friend that sat through the first incident and then Mm -hmm. watched over you over the second incident, all of a sudden just had this, uh, just became overwhelmed with guilt so much so Mm -hmm. to the point that she just had to flat out tell you like, yeah, I, I knew about this and it was a setup mm. and you, you've been victimized by me <laughs> in a way. Wow. Wow. 
what obviously you felt betrayed right like well see she never told me that she was in on it in fact that night the only thing I can remember her saying besides you know thank you for the ride home was you've been set up so if she did try to say something to me or explain any little thing at that moment I don't even remember that I just remember those words you were set up and it wasn't much it wasn't much conversation in the car now I go home and I'm in my room I'm locked up I'm depressed I'm dealing with this I'm calling off work Mm-hmm. She had already went back to work before me and she was already telling them what happened. So I go back when I do go back to work, I'm treated like a charity case and everybody's looking at me wondering what happened. But the story kind of sounded like I was kind of out there or that I brought it on myself. And, and so people didn't know how to take it. But because they knew the reputation that this girl had you know, they didn't believe everything she said. Um, so no, she never admitted to anything. I found that out from the, from the police officer telling me that she wasn't my friend. So the police officer broke the news to you that she was in on it? Yeah, he was irritated. He was irritated. So my mom calls me to me like something just doesn't feel right. What's wrong? I finally tell her. And I told her that because none of them were answering their phones my friend to the boyfriend, none of them were answering their phones for the longest. Okay. My thing was, if we, my agreement was, if we can go get an AIDS test done and it comes back negative, I'll drop everything. Mm. So that was the only reason why they, the two guys started answering the phones. My mom said, oh no, they need to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. You need to go to the law. You know, you need to 1, get a rape kit percent. done. Yes. Yeah. I, I had no idea what a rape kit was or nothing. So I go, um, the detective, he picks me up. Shout out to APD. They were wonderful. He comes and picks me up. He takes me. Oh, to I'm go sorry. You're in, Atlanta. You're in Atlanta, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just to give them a little point of, of perspective. When you said APD, it, uh, it just reminded me. So the Atlanta <laughs> police came, they picked you up. Um, and they drove you around to help you get your, uh, your testing and your rape kit done. Yeah. Yeah. They actually provide a service where they just come and, and, and they take the victim. And, um, I mean, you don't have to pay for anything. You don't have to worry about anything. It's, it's, it's your health and well being. So, yeah. So I get the kit done or whatever. Everything's a blur, um, with those lights and, and those yeah. lights to see the DNA, all that stuff. Right. So, yeah. When he took statement from me, um, he kept asking me, ma'am, is there anyone else that was there that could witness any of this? Mm -hmm. And I told him a few times, my friend was there. My friend was there. And that's when he said, like, every time I said friend, he would look down in disgust. (laughs) So that last time he said, ma'am, she is not your friend. And that's when I knew, because I Mm -hmm. guess he couldn't go into detail, but that's when I found out that she knew she knows more than what she's saying. So never heard from her again. So he had had an interaction with her or he had knowledge of her type of her involvements with those types of incidents is what had happened. Eventually they talked to everybody that was there and the guy that actually, you know, raped me or whatever, he was the last, they had to, they had to take him by force. I mean, so when they finally did catch him, they got him for resisting arrest. 
on my behalf because um, he had quit his job and everything. Like I gave them, I gave them everything I could, which was bit, little or nothing because I had just many. So I told him where he worked and uh, he left the job, but the job was able to give the police the address and stuff. And then finally they got him for resisting arrest, uh, the rape case and uh, child abandonment. So this is what I'm trying to process right now. It sounds as if, obviously this wasn't their first rodeo. He told you to take mm-hmm. a shower. The detective seemed to have some type of prior knowledge of like this, young, this, this girl's involvement with these type of incidents happening before. So mm-hmm. when you stepped up and you got the rape kit done and you you went through the steps in the process, this guy left his job. Why was it that mm-hmm. he was comfortable to stay at his job throughout all of these other times that he had done it? Like, like how was it that the first time, you know, somebody mm-hmm. didn't bring the hammer down on this guy? I am not questioning what a victim goes through through those situations um, mm-hmm. because all types of uh, trains of thoughts and reasoning go through your mind. Fears go through your mind when you've experienced some things like this. So mm-hmm. that just speaks to your strength and your bravery to be the one to step up and say, oh, no, this isn't going to happen to me again. This isn't going to happen to anyone else, at least under his watch again, because I'm going to make sure that I see this through to make sure that this guy doesn't do this to anyone else anymore. And you know what? Well, I appreciate that, actually. Um, To be honest, I wound up contacting his brother. His brother told me that he had told his brother about doing things like this. Now they're from Jamaica. So it's possible that this stuff could have happened there. He told me that everything that this man had told me about this being his house and that and that and the other was a lie. He was very pissed at his brother for doing this, not only because of how it affected me, but also this man had just taken custody of his own, of his uh, son. So now you're putting his household in jeopardy you know what I'm saying? 1,000%. So he, when he told me he had told his brother about doing stuff like this and he thought he was on the right track, um, that's, not his, that's not his house. He's doing a solid for his brother. That's not his car, the car that I met him in. That, that wasn't even his. So he's flexing. Everything was a complete lie. He was very compassionate and just open and honest with me. Because he, he lied. He said Sean yeah. Paul was his cousin. It was I'm sure he's told a lot bigger lies than that, but a lot of lies. And then coming to find out, according to the officer, we had a hard time finding this guy um, because the name he gave me was not his real name. And also they weren't even cousins. They were only friends. So it was hard to even it, it took a minute to get him, but they did. So this guy just constructed a very elaborate lie from day one from jump from the jump okay well thank goodness for that brother who was an ally to you and you know knew the difference between right and wrong and helped him come to justice and kind of helped you through your process too clearly that's not something that he stands for but uh, and that's a really difficult position to be in as a family member to you know turn your own family member and say no you're wrong and i'm going to make sure you pay for this um exactly again your strength your bravery for number one 
just stepping up because a lot of victims have a problem just stepping up, opening up and just saying this happened to me and I'm ready to embark on this course. I'm ready to start this course and figure out how to bring this person to justice for the horrible things that they've done. So number one, kudos to you, um, praises to your bravery for just just speaking up and opening your mouth. And then you have to endure the process afterwards. I can't, I, I've never had that process done, have, had, have had to have a rape kit done. So to go through actually having it done and, and having to go through the next step and then the next step, because I'd imagine it must, ta- it must have taken strength and courage to go through each step of that process to even oh, see it through. Oh yeah. Victims, um, your mind is not right. Yeah. And I don't, and um, it, it, it's, and then when you're drugged, it, it, it's a whole nother level because now you have to sit there and try to piece together what happened. And then, but you got people lying, you got people not answering their phones. So you really trying to get yeah. whatever information that you can and comb through it and like, okay, oh, we were yes. doing this first, mm-hmm. we were doing that. And then this happened. And then I pass out again for all, like everybody's story is different. So even with me, I wasn't going to step up and say anything at first. It took my mother to tell me mm-hmm. these people, they need to be held to the fullest extent of the law and you need a rape kit. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So me, I was always, since a little girl, always the strong one, ones that I'm in third grade, adults are coming to me for advice because that's just how God has gifted me. So to actually admit that, admit the fact that I was a victim, accept Mm -hmm. the fact that I was set up and whatever happened to me, it was like, I didn't know if I wanted to do that. It it feels like a letdown. It feels you're humiliated. And then you're like, why didn't the guy ask me? It was a new relationship. How do you know if Mm -hmm. threesomes was not my thing? You just decided to take something from me. It's like a fetish or something. So yeah, I can't get into the yeah. mind of a pervert, but I can say from a overcomer standpoint that it, it it affects you a lot. And then even with the, um, when you get your rape kit done, they give you something called a, a plan B pill mm-hmm. that worked on my mind too. Like, what if I just, what if I just messed up a baby, like an innocent child? But when they're, wow. when they're telling you this, you know, when the nurses are giving you all of this stuff and all these procedures, your mind is not thinking about none of that at the time. But I found out from that examination that I had HPV, the human papillomavirus. Oh. And that okay. my cells were turned, my cervical cells were turning into cancer. Really? So. Oh, wow. So, and that all stemmed from this encounter with the guys that uh, raped you. Correct. Correct. And there wasn't a lot of information on it then. There were, there were no vaccines then. Um, you know, all they told me was that every, every few months I've got to come in and get procedures done. And the, the procedures for HPV is something else. It's like a, and just to educate the ladies that may not know, it's like a pap smear but they go up further. They have this super long, it's like a pole, but it has a blade on the tip of it. They're snipping out, they're doing biopsies, snipping out portions of your skin to test it. And then 
they put some type of solution on you. And that's how they're able to determine if it's progressing into cancer or if you're coming down with warts or whatever. And mine's was the cancer. So you had the full-on cervical cancer. So the, the, the human papillomavirus is usually what evolves into the cancer, right? What they told me at that time is it can form into warts or it can form into cervical cancer. So mm -hmm. every visit they were saying that my cells were, you know, fully turning into cancer. They were getting worse, basically. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so that event obviously is, is a deeply strong foundation to the woman that you've built yourself into today. Now, I really don't want to skip through any of the important parts. Draw that line to say, yes, I was raped. I contracted HPV, which turned into cervical cancer. And now I'm empowered and I have six beautiful children and the husband. Make that connection there and how we got there. Absolutely. So it started uh, by the time I got, you know, the diagnosis that, okay, this is sticking with you. I had a friend of mine who went with me to the procedure. I mean, he was there by my side. And even though they told me about the cancer, shortly after we left the clinic, he was, he proposed to me. And I was just like, don't you, didn't you just hear what they said? I mean, I could die and we may not be he able to have care. kids. This is my cervix. He didn't care. So of course we know it's, it's a miracle, all praises be to God, but he kept me in a, I would say a happy mindset. He didn't treat me like a handicap or a victim. Mm. I was just that, you know, that, 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 that life of the party Tierra, you know, lovable tea. And, mm. and, and that's how we were. So four that's years. Yeah. You know, and so we, we wound up moving in together and then four years later we got married. Um, my first child, they had to continue the testing again because I was pregnant. They wanted to make sure everything was fine with the baby and myself. Boom. That second pregnancy, I would say around 2012, I got clearance. I have no more HPV. I have no more cancerous cells. Everything is normal now. Thank goodness. So I'm yes. like, wow, you know, okay, I get a second chance, you know? So that right there that's what started the empowerment so let's fast forward it 2017 I decided to stop telling one female here and one female there that I see might be going down the same track and I'm telling them the red flags to watch out for I decided to take it to you know to to just go public with it because a lot of people hold so much stuff in but the stuff you going through the person next to you might be going through it let's be real let's help people you know so 2016, I started coming on Facebook. Um, I was dedicated. Every week I would come on and I would give some type of inspiration. 2017 is when I said, I'm going to write a book about this experience. I know that people are going to look at me like, oh, this is a church girl. What's she doing dating strippers and drug dealers and rapists and all of this? But I had to come out with it because that's where that's that's my truth. So I started speaking about that and then it kind of just led to uh, me becoming a public speaker and, and you know, getting asked to speak on certain platforms. And then that led to me being a certified life coach. And then that's, you know, that's pretty much the history of it. So what I, <clears throat> that's why what I, what I aim to do 
in any title that I have or any anything that I'm doing with my business is is it all leads to perseverance. Let's eliminate these excuses because I have a story. You definitely have a story. Um, wow, <laughs> you're you had to watch. You know, yeah, I got oh, you, I got a little bit of a story. You know, I <laughs> and, and and we had an amazing conversation. Um, yeah. I really drew a lot of strength from uh, what you shared with me. Um, uh, first of all, your story, so powerful, so inspiring. And then when you listen to my story, it's just like, it get, I drew so much strength from it because you reminded me something that I always knew, but sometimes it just hits different from different people. When you say, hey, everybody's story is different and everybody's story is important. Your mm-hmm. trauma may not be the same as my trauma, but you can never minimalize someone else's trauma because they're just different and we're different people and everybody deals with things differently. So never take power away from your story because you're comparing it to someone else's. Correct. Cause if it's just as important to your story is just as important to you as mine is to me, Mm -hmm. because you had to walk through that. When it comes to the stories, every story is important. And that's why I started bringing different guests in because I figured that everybody didn't get raped. Everybody didn't get a health scare. So why not pull different people, different backgrounds, and let's put these stories and these testimonies together and let's inspire the world. Mm. You know, it's not about whose story is worse than anybody else. And your it's stories, in my opinion, that were worse than, than mine's. Um, I can take a lot. But when I have to watch a loved one go through something, you know, mm-hmm. I can go crazy. You had to watch your son go through that. And yeah. you're strong for that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does kind of resonate when you just said that, because it reminded me of all the times that I watched my son. Like I literally walked my son into a, a an operating room once into a procedure room and laid him down on the table because I just couldn't let him go. And they said, all right, mom, we're going to go ahead and let you uh, walk him into a, so um, he is a hemophiliac. He has the most severe form of a a bleeding disorder called hemophilia, where his blood does not clot properly and it can cause, and it does cause spontaneous bleeding throughout his body um, internally, and it makes it difficult to stop bleeding externally. And um, he was diagnosed at nine days old, and subsequently he, um, he got diagnosed with a complication that caused him to have to have several procedures done. He had to have porticast implanted in his chest. It's, um, it's basically like a, uh, an access to his veins so that he could constantly receive the medication that he needed. And during those procedures where they implant, where they, where they will put the, the, the porticast in uh, with all, because he had to go through two different ports and installations and removals. So one time they actually allowed me because he wouldn't stop crying. They wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop crying. So then they actually said, all right, mom, you can go ahead and carry him into the procedure room. I put on the, uh, the PPEs and I held him and I laid him down on the table and he was just wailing. He was wailing. He was wailing. And they laid him down on the table and I'll never forget the moment when they placed that mask over his face. And the nurse actually said to me, well, it's good that he's screaming because that means he'll be out faster. And I'm like, 
are you kidding me? But (laughs) (laughs) like, if you actually seen the process, then you would understand. But yeah, I I remember in that moment thinking to myself, I would give anything to be on the table instead of my son right now. Yeah, that's something. See, I don't, I don't know if I could have took all of that. You know, yeah, I, I, I have had a couple of situations with my with two of my little ones that were close calls, but to actually go through what you went through um, and, and having to watch a loved one that you birthed, you you know yeah. what I'm saying? That's, that's on a whole nother level, but see, that's what I'm saying. Like people may look at my story and there, there are some people that feel like their story is inferior compared to mine, but there is no comparison. It's all about hardships that we've endured. And guess what? We got through them. But because some some people were not able to get through what we've been through. So for you to for you to do that, I believe if you cross that bridge, then it's like a mandate over your life to turn around and help somebody else over that same bridge. Like what makes you so passionate about the life coach uh, profession? When I wrote the book. To be honest, I had to stop. Mm-hmm. I had to stop on his yep. chapter. Yeah, his his chapter is called the Jamaican Rapist because it was as if I was a ghost standing mm. in the back of the room watching this eighteen year old girl, lifeless, unconscious body being taken advantage of. Now, I didn't just see myself; I saw other mm-hmm. women. So, I would feel so bad if I kept this testimony, this journey, that even though it was unfortunate to myself, when something that I say, if I'm telling this, these, these young women the red flags, then I can, I can do preventative care. You know, a lot of things aren't designed for preventative care. It's always when something is bleeding really bad per yep. se. Yeah. But what about the preventative? Let me let you know about these red flags in these relationships. So if you were able to go back in time, which is basically what you're doing right now, just not with yourself, but with other women, if you could go back in time at 18, 17, 18 years old and say, this is my advice to you, what would that advice be? Number one. And number two, would you listen to you (laughs) at that age? Man, my advice would be don't operate out of fear and emotions, T. Mm. Me wanting to just be so perfect and please everybody else, Mm. that was my goal. Let me get this one boyfriend that's going to (laughs) become my husband and then I can live my life happily ever after. No, (laughs) you're not perfect. And guess what? The people who are putting all that pressure on you to be perfect, they're not perfect either. Live your life take your time there is no rush to be involved in a relationship and yes I believe I would listen to myself because I my grandmother went on to be with God like um 2003 Mm -hmm. I turned 18 in 2004 so that part of my life with the dating stuff I didn't get a chance to really talk to her like that and I didn't have any women that were that could give me good information everybody Mm was oh man you want to experience orgies before you get married um if he if you know the best way oh your ex (laughs) 
really we gotta go we gotta go that far (laughs) i I mean yeah they were telling me to just live it up because once you get married that's it (laughs) this is what the older (laughs) women were telling me and when i say older i mean like 40s 50s then you had some in their 30s now i'm still a teen and they were like you know Hey, if he introduced you to his family. So, and and then, yeah, oh, your ex yeah. did you wrong, girl. Get up under a new man. All that stuff don't work. You know that what? That stuff I, don't work. So, yeah, I, I would have listened to myself because that would have been the most sound advice that I had received since my grandmother passing. Yeah, well, we, we've come a long way. Um, that old adage of, if only I knew then what I know now. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story with me today, Coach T. Um, you got the book, you got the speaking engagements, you got the life coach business. Um, when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be here on this earth? Man, whenever someone thinks of me, I just want them to think of positivity, whether it's uh reading a book, watching an old video that I've had. Mm-hmm. I want I want my place to be the place you can go to and draw positivity from no matter what you are going through. Sure we can uh sure we can focus on the bad. There's bad everywhere. But what about that place of comfort and truth and transparency? And I want that for my kids just as well as I want for everybody else. Comfort truth and transparency yeah Mm. absolutely well again a powerful story powerful woman um i wish nothing but the best to you those beautiful babies that wonderful husband that uplifted you at a time where you needed it the most just just what do you want to leave us with i want to say that it is true i know this is it may sound cliche but it is very true we only have one life. So make sure that you live it to the full. Even if you do make mistakes, it is okay. You're going to learn from that. The thing about it is, are you going to keep going back? Mm-hmm. So as long as you can grow from, from what you've been through, you're good. And even if you have a dark background um, yeah. of foster care, of neglect, rejection, uh, maybe abuse, you know, whatever it is, that doesn't make who you are today. So get around people that are uplifting you. Be careful of the ones calling you system, bro. So keep your discernment sharp. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not desperate. You don't have to settle for anybody in any relationship, whether it's a friendship or or any other kind of relationship business-wise, with the guy, with the girl, you don't have to settle. And when you need alone time, take that time. Sometimes it ain't about what the girls is saying and what the fellas is saying. Sometimes it's about what you, you need to be able to hear mm. in, in, in peace and quiet and make those decisions for yourself. And lastly, never bulk yourself down with too much. Mm-hmm. It's okay to tell people no. That's one thing that helps. If you got to tell people no so that you can gather yourself and, and, and rejuvenate and get energy, then, hey, take a break. Make it happen. Tell people no sometimes. It is quite all right. Mm. So quick recap. Know thyself. Set your boundaries. Don't settle and protect your energy. Correct. I just wanted to give it the little buzzwords, all the hashtags that's flying around uh, social <laughs> media. But no, um, 
your story is powerful. Um, you are powerful. You are inspiring. And the this exchange between us has is impactful for me personally. And it's going to be impactful for my listeners to hear the way that you express your stories. Um, check out Coach T. She has, uh, what's your website again? My website is www.cu-nw.com. And that's for changedupnowwhat.com. Okay. And you have your podcast, Changed Up Now What, which is about you know, kind of entering those different phases in life and trying to figure out how to navigate through them. Yeah, you know, if you like Crystal Reed, um, you're going to also enjoy her sister, Coach T, because we we both talk about perseverance. You know, we have the different guests come on and it's pretty much everything I told you except from different walks of life. And we just, man, my guests are just they're on fire. They're transparent with it. They're ready to change lives. These successful Absolutely. people. Social media, everything is uh, Tierra Curry. T-E-A-I-R-A. Curry like the spice. C-U-R-R-Y. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Miss Curry. Thank you again, Coach T slash Tierra Curry. This has been an amazing, powerful perspective. Uh, thank you again. And you're going to be back and we're going to just chop it up about some different stuff because this has been a wonderful exchange once again. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. And yes, I'll be back without a shadow of a doubt. I'm waiting on you, girl. All right, for sure. All right, guys, once again, that was Tierra Curry. She's a life coach, motivational speaker. You can find all of her information on her website, cu-nw.com. And don't forget, she's got a book coming out soon. Check her out on social media, Tierra Curry. Um, so as you guys know, I like to share a little bit of my own perspective before I leave you. And I got to say, Coach T's story was so powerful that it not only reminded me of a perspective that I already have, but it helped me to grow that perspective. So it confirmed a lot of key things that I really wanted to dig into by starting this podcast. Number one, everybody has a story. Number two, that story should be told for people who need to hear it. I've come to realize how cyclical the process of sharing our stories is. What I mean by that is that a lot of people have not experienced the truth, the comfort and transparency that they need in order to share their story. And the only way they can gain it is by listening to someone else who is comfortable enough to share their own. They gain power from those who come before them, who have gained agency over their own voices and over their own truths to be able to share. And then they draw strength and then they share. And then someone hears their story and then they share. We all gain so much from listening to each other. It's a never ending cycle of encouragement and empowerment when we become comfortable enough to use our stories to encourage, enlighten, and to help the next man. In this never-ending process of progress, speaking up is important, but don't miss those opportunities to listen to. Thank you, my listeners, for all of your continued support. It means the world to me, and it means the world to my guests who have the strength to share their stories. Thank you so much, Coach T. Don't forget to follow, like, comment, subscribe on all of my social media platforms. You can find me on Instagram at Power Perspective Pod. YouTube, you can also find me on Facebook as Crystal Reed. Thank you again, Coach T. Good luck with the new baby, with the new book, and all of your endeavors. And remember, guys, live your journeys, learn your truths. Remember the power of perspective.